Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff, for leading us in our first service for the year. And welcome everybody as we gather here. We'll all come, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are tuning in from Bishan for the first two sermons of the year as a set of vision. So there will always be one in Christ Jesus. We welcome family and friends who are tuning in and just listening to God's word in this way. So last days and first priorities. It's a new year. And you ask yourself, what's new and what's not new? Is the new year simply the changing of a number? And then because of the changing of this number, the whole world celebrates in different, with different things, fireworks to welcome the new year. But you know deep in your heart, nothing has changed. So somebody sent me this and allow me to read this for you. Brain cells die, uh, skin cells die, and even hair cells die. Don't you know that? But the fat cells in my stomach must have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour since they seem to have eternal life. <laughs> That's not too bad. <laughs> so you ask yourself, yeah, besides the changing of a number, what's really new? Your fight with your battle of the bulge carries on, right? your cells are dying, you know that nothing is really new in your life. And if I got you to reflect, and I reflect together with you, all of us, and we must, what are the top problems? Narrow it down to top three problems that you, your children, will face this year, the next five years, the next 10 years. What could be potentially life-threatening problems for us? And then ask yourself, as you think of those problems, that could be life-threatening to you, to me, and what solutions will you bring to solve them, address them, reverse, take away the life threat of these problems that might come? I want to suggest to you, as you come to church, that there is only one, not solution, one saviour. So every, new, every year is new because Jesus has broken through human history to understand our problem, not simply to understand our problem, to save us from Satan, sin and death. And so, the new year reflections, and it must always bring us to Jesus. And today I just want to walk you through as you believe in Jesus, as your saviour, as your Lord, you must believe in His love, His power, His victory, His promise to overcome our fallen nature, our fallen world, to overcome our sinfulness and to replace it with godliness as we believe in the new life that only Jesus, sent by God, can accomplish, can promise, and can fulfil. So we begin with the Bible passage that brings us straight to the person of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus. There's always the starting point. Always the starting point. And so here in Mark chapter 1, it says this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, an unknown town, in Galilee. And what did he do, the first thing? He was baptised by John in the Jordan. And John had been sent by God to prepare Israel, God's people, to, for the final visitation of God, of his people. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And so, as you notice, all three persons of the Godhead are there. At the start, at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, and a voice from heaven came, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The first thing to note about the Lord Jesus is that he is loved by the Father. As he comes from heaven to earth, he comes on a love mission. That's the most important thing. Whatever you do not know and want to associate with Jesus, you must associate Jesus with love. Love sent by God. This is a love letter from God in the person of Jesus. And how do you know? And what does that mean? And he carries on. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness. The wilderness was the meeting place between God and his people. Whenever they went off tangent, he will bring them back to the wilderness. This is where I will make your life right. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
as we are first introduced to the person and the purpose of Jesus sent by God. Please take note, Satan is there. And the sign of Satan being there, the symbol and the substance, is that he's totally opposed to God and totally opposed to what God has sent Jesus to do. That message we cannot miss. And we see that, that John, who was the forerunner preparing Israel to receive God, was put in prison simply because he was preaching a message of repentance. Stop living life your own way, Israel, and come back to the God who has redeemed you, who has loved you. And so the kingdom of God in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, especially in Acts, is a shorthand way of saying, pronouncing a tremendous truth. And the tremendous truth is this, the life-changing, earth-shattering, game-changing truth that Jesus has come to do what? To bring an end to the wrongful rule of Satan, tempting you and me to live autonomous lives against God. Sin is not merely immorality. Sin is actually autonomy. Immorality is but an expression of autonomy against God. Most times we preach a moral gospel, but the gist of sin, the heart of sin, the character of sin is your and mine deep addiction to autonomy from God. He has come to end that, the Lord Jesus, and start the rightful rule of God from the time He created us to now He redeems us to Christ. So Jesus comes, as we read in the first passage, to open our service from Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah promises under God that there's a new heavens and a new earth. And the person who will usher in these new heavens and the new earth in the last days will be the new temple, the new meeting place that will usher in the new kingdom of God. So from Jesus, we must believe He has come in fulfilment of this. And what was His first priority must now become the first priority of all believers in Him. How does that work in our life? Show me a vision of that. That believing in Jesus reverses the fallenness and the sinfulness and promises us newness even in our limited experience of it now. So I'd like to share this testimony of uh, Cha Cha with you. My dear sister, welcome here to what we call Glorifying God Devotions. The whole purpose of Glorifying God Devotions is to encourage God's people in our faith journey with Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. So perhaps you can start with just you giving us a brief introduction to yourself. Hello, I'm Jia Jia. I'm from Ebenezer EFC. So I'm currently um, serving full-time at Ebenezer EFC, um, leading the Sunday School Ministry. And please enlighten us, what does EFC stand for? Evangelical Free Church. Thank you so much. Whatever church we belong to, we're all one in Christ. I had the privilege of meeting you and hearing your testimony. And so uh, that's why I've invited you here to share this with us. Can you um, share with us what you've gone through, um, especially the challenge that you faced? Yeah. So actually back in 2010, I was actually diagnosed with an eating disorder, anorexia, mm. and together with depression. So actually, when I was young, I did quite a few genres of dance. Um, but it was only until my um, early 20s that I decided to focus on ballet only. Mm. So ballet, the physique is very important. You need to have like long limbs and you need to be skinny and all this. So I was actually very skinny already. But then I'll compare myself, because I'm quite competitive. Mm. I'll compare myself with the professional Angmore dancers. Angmore. Yes. <laughs> Their limbs are all very long because Angmores, they have very long limbs, unlike Asians. Mm. So, you know, I wanted to have long limbs. So I decided, okay, I should diet so that I can have seemingly longer limbs. Mm. So that's where I started my journey um, of dieting. The initial stages of anorexia was actually quite debilitating for me because I was very restrictive on, on my diet. And um, so like a day I can eat maybe just one cup of breast small yogurt and uh, a slice of bread with lots of chilli padi. Because at that point of time, I felt that 
um, chilli will help to burn the fats off. So I put it, put a lot of chilli putty with those tuna uh, chunks and water. So it was hard. I did became skinnier. I did have seemingly longer limbs. But I realised that the more I diet, the more... Um, I didn't really bother so much about how frail or how um, like ugly I became, but I was craving for that control I got over um, an aspect of my life, which is my weight. Mm. Yeah. So the more I diet, the more I felt that I was in control of my life, cause there were certain aspects in my life that I, that I couldn't control. Yeah. So it it got to an extent that. Um, I felt I was I felt I was in control but actually in actual fact I was being controlled by my need for control. It came to a point where I dropped to just 30 kg. I couldn't dance anymore but I couldn't stop dieting. I just had to go on because I felt that if I stopped dieting I would just lose control over my life. And how did you overcome what would happen? At that point of time, I already um, have a faith, which is um, my Christian faith. So, it was hard, but I knew that there was someone out there who sees my pain, who knows what I'm going through. Even though I was very withdrawn at the point of time, because no, I couldn't have meals with other people. And I was always at home, so I could only turn to God. Because my mom couldn't understand at that point of time, no one really knew what anorexia is. So... It was that time when I really drew closer to God. So I felt that God allowed such a thing to happen to me to really pull me back to God. Because before that, I was quite, um, I was not as close. Yeah, so um, I feel certain things happen to us to, it's a way of God calling us back to Him. So, so God really guided me and He sent um, people around me, I really had very um, supportive family, friends, my church, my pastor, Pastor Sherman, and also uh, my psychologist. Yeah, so they really helped me along. So I always tell those who um, are facing um, similar situation as me that recovery is not an on-off switch. So many times people think that it's an on-off switch, but it really was a very long process for me. So it took me about eight years to be fully recovered. So eight years. Yes. Mm, by 2001, I was fully recovered. So by then, uh, I gained back more weight than I used to be and I was enjoying all sorts of food. Around 2017, that I felt healthy enough that I, I, I said, hey, I really want to commit myself fully to God by serving Him full-time in church. So that's where I actually enrolled myself in um, SPC to pursue theological studies. Yep, so I graduated just before COVID 2019. That's mm. such a marvelous turnaround, right? Nothing but the grace of God bringing that miracle to bear. Uh, finally, just to ask you if there are people listening to this and they could be experiencing anorexia, either themselves or the parents, any words of encouragement or insights or practical tips for them? So I feel that um, because people who have eating disorders or, or more specifically anorexia, they tend to be perfectionists, they tend to be competitive, they tend to compare themselves with others and place high expectations on themselves. So I say that um, since you're a child of God, you have to be kinder to yourself yeah, and really also accept and recognize that there are people around you who are there to support you, your church, your family, your friends, and don't be shy to seek help when you need it. So we really have to learn to just let go and let God. So this restedness accompanies with it. So it's something that's very, um, it gives me restedness, yeah, in that sense. It's such a, like a, paradox, right? That you have to let go and let God and yet that effort by the grace of God is a habit that you say moment by moment. Yes, really yeah. moment by moment. And you have to be intentional about it. Praise God for that. Yeah. On behalf of all of us who are tuning in to this, we want to thank you 
as we see how God has miraculously worked in your life, Chacha. Thank and I pray for the, the best days ahead of you right, as you serve in church. Thank you so much. God bless you. I hope you were encouraged by that. And I think we can give glory to God. What do you think? And we must for the new life that God has given to us. So Christ, our hope for life. What did I learn from Chacha's testimony? I shouldn't eat chili padi. <laughs> she regained so much weight from 30 kgs. I think she put on about 18 kgs. To see her as a bundle of joy and life now. So Jesus has come to end the wrongful rule of Satan over us. And under Satan's guise, our pension, our addiction for autonomy and control is there. So beware of fallenness. And in her words, controlled by her need to be in control in a chaotic world that thinks some areas of her life were not going right. And in everybody's life, some areas not going right. Some disappointment, some brokenness, some nastiness, some pain. And you run to something else that you can control. I can definitely control my diet. Nobody's going to control that for me. And so whether it's empires to ourselves, the control is a huge thing. When we hear the gospel, the good news, and believe in Jesus, and witness a testimony like Chacha's testimony, we are not asking for all sicknesses to be healed. We're not asking for all problems to be solved. We're not asking for all pain this side of heaven to be soothed. We're not asking for all questions to be, asked, to be answered. We are hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus and asking for all illusions and delusions all plans and schemes of the self-made life to be smashed to smidrins. The self-determined life that I'm master of my own meaning, I'm determiner of my own destiny, that Jesus has come to smash. That you will not create a world better than God has given to you. And so, how does that work in our life as we reflect on that testimony? Our self-made life we are always looking for the jigsaw puzzle of life. We put in many jigsaw pieces, and then we're looking for the final pieces, and then a final piece. And for some of us, that control of that perfect life is, if I could just go to that one school, I miss out on that school. And you feel for the rest of your life, you're incomplete. If only I could get that one job, if only I could join that one company or that one hospital, it's just that one piece. If only I could have that one person to love and I that broke up with that person. If only I had one game that would satisfy me forever. If only I had one joy, right, that would keep me joyful for the rest of my life. If only I could have one ministry and when I have this ministry, my life would be complete. All those illusions and delusions must be smashed to smidrins as the new year begins because there'll be little ways for you to control your self-made life. And the self-made life is offensive to God. It's a life that will lead to pain for yourself and for others. And that's a very important message that's there. But sometimes we hear the gospel, we hear about Jesus, and it's a blah, blah, blah. You mustn't read the Bible and hear the gospel and blah, blah, blah. This is the only half, the only hope we have for true newness. The King has come. The Kingdom of God has been ushered in. It will, the King will return in all His glory. And this Kingdom and this world will pass away. And so we begin the year with CRY. I've given you this acronym many times over the years. CRY, C stands for you confess. You confess your illusions and delusions, your plans and schemes for the self-made life, the perfect life. You repent of it, R. And then why you yield this to Jesus. And you yield this again and again and again. Christ, our hope in life. So that's what the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John do when to introduce the person and the purposes of Jesus. Then we reflect on the apostles who wrote the rest of the New Testament. How did they think about this? How did they go out to the ends of the earth to spread the good news that Jesus has come as God 
appointed king to rule your life and my life. What we read just then from 2 Timothy is Paul, the older pastor, writing to Timothy, the younger pastor, as he faces increasing opposition to the gospel message and the gospel ministry he was trying to nurture in the church as a shining light to that city. And so, Paul will speak about the last days. I forgot to say this earlier. I better say this. <laughs> so you humbly submit to the newness of life that God has given to you. And we saw that in Chacha's life. You do not have control of your time. You do not have control of your life. And we ask ourselves as we reflect on that, what are some unsurrendered areas of your life to King Jesus? Sorry, I missed that, so I'm going back a little bit. And from her, beware our perfectionist streak. Go forward. And slaves us to be competitive, you're a child of God, not of the world. I found in the years of ministry here that in our push for excellence as Asians and Singaporeans, there is a very strong unconscious perfectionist streak. And you find a correlation that those who fall into depression have that perfectionist streak in many of them. And so you have to determine whether you want to be a child of this world, always seeking for the illusionary perfection and, and control. Or accept Jesus' love and in her words, be kinder to yourself. Let go and let God. And let go and let God does not mean do nothing. Let go and let God means do a most important thing. Stop living by performance. Stop living by works. Stop living by your self-made plans. Start living by God's grace. And she was humble enough to accept that God has ordained this season into her life. Whether you call it a sickness, whether it's genetic, I've tried to read about it as best as I could before I speak about it today. Whether it's anorexia or whether it's bulimia. Anorexia is starving yourself to that point of perfection. Bulimia is gorging yourself and then vomiting. But there are two sides of the same coin of wanting to control that part of your life. And God allowed this to draw me closer, she says. And for her, the recovery was not an on-off switch. It's a long game. Eight years of this. Eight years. And there would have been so much prayer and practice and perseverance. There would have been so much disappointment and going backwards and going forward. And notice, she says, please don't forget to ask for help. Help from the church. Help from family and friends, pastors, psychologists, psychiatrists. And that's when we started our mental wellness ministry a few years ago with the exploding problem that we find in Singapore and around the world. As a holistic approach of spiritual healing, mental healing, emotional healing, relational healing, physical healing. And I'll ask you what areas of your life, what areas of your life may lack the restedness. It was the Lord Jesus who promised in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is anyone weary and heavy laden? The true answer is yes. So it's much to hear, much to believe, much to claim as you believe in Jesus and the new life given by Him. So, sorry, I went to this and then had to flip backwards. What about apostles and how did they think about the last days? And Paul would say this in 2 Timothy. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Why? In the ESV, difficult times. It won't be a bed of roses, even though we attempt to make it through globalization and whatever we try, that this will be the best, highest form of civilization at any time. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. 
And Paul will go on to highlight within Timothy's congregation a few who are like that, but have a form and veneer of godliness. But underneath it is totally unchanged and unredeemed habits of self-love. So the character of people in the last days, narcissism is the English word, lovers of self, materialism, lovers of money, hedonism, lovers of pleasure. And you put them all together, we are a people, and the last day refers to the time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. It's not the immediate days before Jesus' second coming, it's the intermediate days between his second coming, which includes the immediate days before he returns. And so, we will be a people of misplaced loves, misdirected loves, narcissism, extreme self-love at the expense of God and neighbour, hedonism, extreme self-pleasure at the expense of God and neighbour, which tells you that your life and my life cannot be self-determined. You are part of all the isms of this world. You are part of the, all the worldviews of this world. So, old enemy of Satan, the new face, is here. Satan is a master of redirecting, or in more technical, technolo technological words, rerouting our lives from the worship of God to the idolatry of self. Whether it's first century Rome to 21st century world, Rome held itself as the empire that will bring in true human peace forever and ever. And we are always looking for world peace and home peace. And so GPS stands for Global Positioning System. If you are a driver or a co-driver, when you're, you want to go to a destination, you need to find a navigator, a provider of the GPS to lead you. If you miss a turning going to your destination, what will that happen? Especially you're traveling overseas, right? And then your spouse who is navigating you through the GPS gives you, you get a little bit upset. Is that true? I think you just experienced that on your holiday. That's why I see you're not so rested. And you will always say rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. I thought, I think we should give a spiritual, uh, a gospel twist to this. For us, as God's people, we believe not in the global positioning system, but in the God positioning system. Or the Jesus positioning system. Whenever your life is going for, you know, Satan is not as dumb as to offer you bad things. Satan offers you the good life, the good life that takes you from the best life that God has offered you in Christ. The temptation of the good for the best began in the Garden of Eden. When Eve saw that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was good for wisdom. And so we have always had an eye tempted by Satan, for the good life. Now through Jesus, he's offering us the best life. So your new navigation system, your new navigator is Jesus. Whenever you make a wrong turn in life, you have to go back and Jesus to reroute yourself back to Jesus and the kingdom. Your life will go to envy. Somewhere along the line, God will tell you, stop that envy, stop that envy. Your line will go to jealousy, stop that jealousy. Reroute, go back to God, go back to jealousy, uh, go back to Jesus. It will cure your jealousy. You're about to go into anger. Reroute, reroute. The good thing is, Satan will tell you, envy is good, jealousy is good, anger is good, judgmentalism is good, impatience is good, escapism is good, pornography is good, right? This anorexia is good. It's a way to control your life. But God in His mercy, Christ in His victory, will reroute you. I'm offering you not the good life of self-control. I'm offering you the best life of me being Lord of your life. I do not know what moments will be thrown at you this year. But for every moment that takes you away from God, to the good life Satan promises you, you have to embark on this GPS, Global Positioning System, God Positioning System, or JPS, my Jesus Positioning System. Where am I now with my life? 
Where am I with my ambitions? Where am I with my anger? Where am I with my lust? Where am I with my depression? Where am I? Jesus, help me to find my way. So, old enemy, new face, our pandemic of sinfulness today is actually idolatry played out in addiction. Idolatry will always play it out in addictions. And our digital addictions is not the end point. Our digital addictions will lead us to digital destruction. Why? Because we are always trying to feel good in the wrong places. For anybody who suffered that, anorexia, depression, right, different things in our life, we do not know where to go for that help. So somebody sent me this, I've used this before, take a look at it. Enter to that left door, Addiction Recovery Center. On the wall, first floor, addiction, right, cure for Facebook. Second floor, cure for Twitter, now X. Right? Third floor, cure for Instagram, a bit old already. Lah. Then you put TikTok there. Then on the top floor, texting while walking. Texting while walking on the rooftop may be slightly dangerous. Lah. Just slightly dangerous. Texting while walking on the main road, already dangerous. Texting while walking on the rooftop is fatal. Digital addictions that come from idolatry of self-control will lead you to destruction. And so we are trying to get, we are trying to feel good about ourselves through dopamine, gives pleasure, eureka. Endorphins covers pain, euphoria. Oxytocin unleashes love, bonding. Serotonin mood stability, respect. Adrenaline energy gives rush. My goodness, Pastor Chris, you know so many medical terms. I got it somewhere, lah. nothing's new under the sun. You and me are looking for this. God created you and wired you to get this, to feel good by knowing Him, by loving Him, by trusting Him, by worshipping Him, by glorifying Him. Did you know that? not know that? And Romans 1 will tell you that you get a semblance of this as you look at creation. When you look at creation, the sun, the sea, the mountains, the birds, why do we fly to Hokkaido, the snow? What does snow remind you of? I do not know. Every time I fly into the air and see the clouds and see the snow, I think, can you imagine heaven is more beautiful than this? The first time I went to the snowy mountain, wow, it's so beautiful. Just sit in the serenity and just silence. When you're out there in creation, your conscience tells you that you are not master of your own meaning. You're not determiner of your own life. You didn't create the world. You are a creature created by God. It's important that we remember that. In the last days, we will forget that in our man-made world, through our gadgets more and more, we think we will invent our way out of sinfulness into paradise. But we will not invent our way out of sinfulness into paradise. And somewhere along the line, you need to ask, how on earth did I find so much pleasure in me instead of God and the knowing of Him and the loving of Him and the obeying of Him and the serving of Him, which He what? What He made us for in the Garden of Eden. He put Adam and Eve to tend the garden. He put Israel in the promised land. There is great delight in the land, the destination that God calls us to. So God's way to the true newness in the epistles. We are always journeying, in the words of Paul here, from the misdirected loves of self to the redirected love for God. And how does that happen? Same message as the Gospels. It happens only through Jesus and His finished work on the cross. That His grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour. That God has purposed our redemption, our newness, but now it's been revealed to the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed the death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. I pause there. Do you believe this? The only way to redeem and reroute and re redirect your love from self to God is through Jesus the God-man who loved the Father more than himself, who loved us as the church more than anything else for the Father's glory. So life in the last days, we will be a bundle of misdirected love to self, 
And Jesus is the only way to redirect our love to God. So day by day, you'll face what? Day by day, you'll face the mother of all wars. And you say to me, what wars? The war is being fought very far away in Ukraine, be- Ukraine and Russia. The war is fought not so far away in- between Israel and Hamas. The war is much closer than you think. There's a war in your heart from morning to night. And the war in your heart cannot be cured. It is this war in our hearts for the missing jigsaw puzzle that makes you and me a nightmare to live with. And so, Paul will go on to say the many things that manifest us. In a modern-day world in Singapore, the manifestations of our wars, we are the OCD capital of the world, mental health issues exploding, depression, marriage breakup, family breakdowns, social fragmentation, and digitalization. It's a great tool, but it also reaps great destruction if we don't watch it. And so he tells us that as you read the Bible, you hear of the Saviour who has come from God, the Spirit of God that lives within you, that will end these wars, the models of godliness, and ultimately, you listen to the Word of God. To experience this newness, you need all four. The Lordship of Jesus, you need the power of the Spirit, you need models of godliness whose life has been rerouted, redeemed, redirected, and you need the Word of God. And so we're going to run to them very briefly. In 2 Timothy, he says, you got the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This new life is not a life you can determine by your self-will. It's the Spirit of God living in you that will bring this about. Amen? Not by self-will. Secondly, He gives you models. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. You read that. Paul is speaking about himself. He's telling Timothy, right? He could have used his very bad grammar, right? He could have used one collective, my, my teaching, conduct. But he emphasizes that. He's asking Timothy to look at him and says, my life is an example of the redeemed, rerouted life. To the GPS, my navigator, and my destination is heaven. Because previously, I used to hate Jesus. I used to hate Jesus so much I arrested anyone who believed in him and took part in their persecution and was proud of it as a Jew. But then Jesus met me on the road to Damascus and my navigation system totally changed. I now live, breathe, serve, die for Jesus. This is most likely his last will and testament. I have finished the race. I thank God for my redeemed life for my rerouted life. He experienced the Spirit of God working in him. He experienced the redeemed life. And now he's going to tell you of the newness. The newness that comes. And he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The final resource God has given to us always is his word. And the final word to us is the gospel. So I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And you must preach the word in season and out of season. Whether it's convenient for people to listen or inconvenient, for the word of God, the gospel, it reproves, it rebukes, it exhorts, with complete patience and teaching, newness by the Word of God. We listen to this and say, "Ah, most of us as Christians know this. Most of us in ARPC know this, in Adam and Bishan. What does that mean? What does the Word of God mean to you? What does living under Jesus and believing in every word that He's given us mean to you and me? So true story of... uh, Philip Davis, 1914, World War II. Australia sent soldiers 
to help Britain fight the war against Germany. He now finds himself in Belgium, in a small town called Messines. He leads a group of five soldiers to do what? To lay down telephone lines. Without communication, World War I, World War II, any war, without communication, you are sitting duck. You don't know where your enemies are positioned. You don't know where you are in position to them. They will conquer you. So he was out there with five men under his care, laying this. Late that night, after they dug the trenches and they were laying them, shells fell, exploded, killed one of his men, injured the rest, and he himself was injured by shrapnel. Thankfully, he was saved and sent to a hospital in London. As he recovered, the doctors told him, as they operated on him, they found in his uniform a pocket Bible over his left side, right? given by Bible Society Australia, BCA. Right? And it was a small pocket Bible, hardcover, and hardcover, and the shrapnel went through but couldn't pierce it and stopped there, and stopped there. And so here he is, this is his son, Richard, right? And showing the Bible that his father, Philip, this Bible that saved the life of his father. And where did the shrapnel or the bullet stop? The shrapnel and bullet stop at Ephesians 6. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> put on the full armor of God and take your stands against the devil's many schemes. <laughs> it was the KJV version. I just translated it for you. Right? It stopped there. And he kept this literally, physically for him, Philip Davis. The word of God saved his life. In his last will and testament, he told his son, after I pass on, and if you don't want this, can you please hand this Bible that saved my life back to the Bible Society of Australia. So there they were, right, at the ceremony, handing this Bible that saved his life. Have you experienced the life-saving power of God's Word, spiritually and truly? That is the more important lesson for us. Don't you think so? You can't have, I'm just going to do a test, right? Every year, as a Bible teaching church, ARPC, we do four books. Can you remember the four books we did last year? Oh Lord, help me. You're praying that, oh Lord, help me. Can you remember of the four books and the thousands of verses we studied in great detail? Did any one of those verses rescue you from potential lust, potential anger, potential envy, potential unforgiveness, potential discontentment, frustration? Did any of the verses pull you back from the brink of sin, of falling into Satan's temptation and sin? We must not just believe in the Word of God theoretically. And so we will not give up preaching the gospel here in the RPC. We preach the gospel in season and out of season. So what is it that Paul faced in his life? He was abandoned, but so tempted to be alone. He was saved at the end of 2 Timothy 4, though all have abandoned me, the Lord has always been with me. You are never alone in the Christian life. Because Jesus promised to never leave you or forsake you. And whatever Jesus promised, you can bet your life on Him. And so Paul was opposed. He's tempted to be fearful. You ever been opposed in life? It's terrifying. You ever been betrayed? You're tempted to be bitter. You ever been defeated? You're tempted to give up. So in Chacha, we saw Christ, our hope in life. In Paul, we see Christ, our hope in life and death. And as the year begins, that's where we must go. That Christ in Christ alone reverses our fallenness, reverses our sinfulness, and at times He reverses our sicknesses. Not always. So the best Bible study, we, we invited Paul Tripp's sister-in-law to come along to our church camp. Her name was Louise Kalen Bring, to help us with biblical counselling, which is preaching the gospel to each other one-to-one and to equip as many people in ARPC as we go forth, right, with this. 
that I can gospel you and you can gospel me with the evergreen word of God in the ever-changing world without God. That Jesus and the gospel word will save you. And she said, in all her years, I think 70 plus years or so, that the best Bible study she's been to in Redeemer Church where she worshipped, Tim Keller's church, was a, a Bible study group for people with same-sex attraction and former criminals and former drug addicts. And why was it the best Bible study group? I'll never forget this line. Because to join this group, you, you have to come from that background to join this group. And everybody knows who you are in this group. So they come broken, but they leave whole. That is the newness that Jesus can bring. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. It's not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. And the sooner you and me tell God, I'm sick and I'm lost, the sooner you experience the love and the foundness and the newness of Jesus. If that is the best kind of Bible study for yourself and for your family, when you have family devotions, and for your Bible study groups, your DGs, and for children's church, and for basic when you gather, and for adult groups, and for the elderly, then what's the worst kind of Bible study? What's the worst kind of quiet time you could have? What's the worst kind of devotional time you can have? Superficial. And superficial is you come pretending to be whole and you live perpetually broken. So the way you should have your quiet time is you get on your knees and you say to God, I need help. I need salvation. You begin with your C-R-Y. The way you do your family devotion is, I'm so sorry that dad was a little bit impatient with you. Please forgive dad. I struggle with this. Mom was a little bit rude with you. Mom was a little bit strict with you. I shouldn't have smacked you just then. All the things that you may struggle. Mom, dad, I was a bit rude to you just this morning. You know, I haven't told you, but I'm being bullied a lot in school every day. And the same person who bullied me last year is still the same person who is bullying me this year. You come broken to the devotion time around your table or around the bed where you have this. Then you read God's Word. Then you claim God's Word. Then you pray God's Word. And you experience the newness of life that Jesus brings to you. And so, ARPC, 2024 is going to be the most exciting year for us. Amen? You sit there and say, really? <laughs> really? What's the excitement? Because God is blessing us as one church in three places. Big hand across the board. <laughs> we are going to be used by servants of God to bring newness to Tengah, newness to Singapore. Get the official statistics correct. 18% officially in our population census. 18% Christians include 6% Catholics. And we think ourselves as Protestants, there are about 12% of us. And the 12% is official membership figures. It's not the figures of the true believer, it's the membership figures of people who love Jesus, follow Jesus, embark on C-R-Y in their life, no matter what. Which means, in all likelihood, the number of true Christians, true believers in Jesus, true followers, true lovers of Jesus, could be in single digits. Which means in school, out of 10 other students, nine are unbelievers. Which means that as you get on a bus and MRT, nine of those people in a crowded MRT are not believers in Jesus, which leaves the task unfinished. And you cannot believe that this has become a Christian nation. And we cannot sit and say that, oh, ALPC is growing, no need to pray anymore. The growing of a church and the growing of the kingdom should be related. I should be concerned for the saving of all Singaporeans. Amen? But don't try to save the nation. Just begin by God burdening your heart with one relative, one friend that God will convict you of and you will pray and pray and pray and love that person into the kingdom. It's one person at a time. So what does that mean for you and me as the year begins? It's exciting as God gives us three places, but He wants to find you faithful in the little things. Whether you're experiencing the closeness of God, the love of God in your life, 
as Jaja has experienced. Whether you can say with Paul, I fought the good fight, that though all have abandoned me, the Lord has never abandoned me. You get that personal part correct, then it spills over. It becomes infectious. Our groups are alive. Then the whole church becomes alive. And so Christ becomes our hope in life and death. And next week as we get out the handbook, we will show you how this plays out in practical, concrete terms. Then our theme for the year, last year and this year, is strengthening faith, strengthening family across the whole English presbytery and denomination. January and March, we're going to do Luke's Gospel. Good news of great joy. April to May, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Right? Why these books? June, the church camp, on the go for God. Why the theme, the sub-theme on, on the go for God? Because Jesus came from God to save us. We are sent by God the Father and Jesus into the world to save the world. Jerusalem to the world. All the messages about going. And then we'll end the year with Isaiah, a tale of two cities. Whether you want to build your dreams and illusions in Babylon or build your dreams and illusions with the new GPS rerouted to heaven as your final goal, we pray and encourage as many of us to believe that we are living in the last days and our first priority is a life totally yielded to Jesus. The beauty of that, the meaning of that. Come, brothers and sisters in Christ, AOPC at Adam and Bishan. Sorry, I have to steal this from ACS. The best is yet to be. <laughs> Must be ACS boy. <laughs> Let's stand and pray together. By your grace, soften our hearts and open our minds to hear your voice speak about the new heavens and the new earth, about the true newness that will come simply and solely because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you came to usher in the kingdom of God, that you have sounded the death knell of the wrongful rule of Satan over the world and over us. That your coming into the world is the true hope of the start of your rightful rule over us. So we pray that we will never get used to the humdrum of another new year when nothing is new. But by believing in you, there is true newness for spiritual growth, for delighting in you, in obeying you, in trusting you, in worshipping you. Newness in our hearts, newness in our relationships, newness in our singleness, newness for our marriages, newness for our families, newness as you send us out to our community and our nation. Help us to believe in the power of the gospel. And we pray that as we do this, you will get all the glory because Jesus is exalted. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.